You are a warrior. You are the very best your nation has to offer. They're asking you to lead. We need a bearcat. It's up to us. So 133, I need somebody that's got a visual on where the shooter is. You must be sound in mind, body, and spirit. 43, where's the officer down? I have a rescue helicopter that wants to land and help. This is the podcast that will make you the one. Cops running eastbound. The one that will bring everyone back. Probably we have shot fired, shot fired. Give me back up now. Because no one else is coming. I have an officer shot, an officer shot, 100 block of East Street. Suspect is down, suspect is down. This is The Squad Room. Hello everybody, this is The Squad Room, the podcast that helps you, the modern warrior, achieve your full potential and fulfill your purpose as a first responder. I'm your host, Garrett Slaw. We have a great show today with a fantastic guest. Um, before we get to the interview, I want to remind you that you can get more information on this episode and all our other episodes by going to our show notes and links at thesquadroom.net. You can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. And, of course, follow me on social media and uh, for, on Instagram and Twitter at The Squadroom. We also have a Facebook group uh, that I encourage you to go check out and search for, and we can uh, get you signed up there, too. Because our job is tough, tougher than anything that can be put in a few words here. If you want to start a conversation, reach out, ask a question, join our Facebook group because uh, that's a great place for us all to connect up. All right, before we get to our interview, I want to thank our two sponsors. Uh, first, uh, this episode is brought to you by Blue Line Flex. Blue Line Flex is a fitness apparel brand owned and operated by a veteran cop out of the East Coast. Now, Justin, the owner, he started Blue Line Flex to create a high-quality apparel company that gives back to police charities, and that is a huge deal for me. Uh, it's a main reason uh, that I, I wanted to work with them as much as I did. The Blue Line Flex t-shirts, they have this athletic shape and cut that are longer and allow for an easier concealed carry, but I also like it because they don't come untucked when you're wearing them under your uniform. Uh, they also have a line of women's wear, including leggings and insulated protein shakers. This pro- insulated protein shaker thing, this metal protein shaker that they have, I love because uh, I use like a BCAA mix like a lot of you do when I'm working out, and it keeps that thing cold throughout my whole workout. You can check them out at bluelineflex.com or on Instagram at bluelineflex. I also want to thank uh, Hardhead Veterans. Uh, it's my belief that any assignment requires access to a high-quality ballistic helmet. Whether you're on patrol or responding to an active shooter, a SWAT cop busting down a door, or a detective serving a search warrant, you need serious protection for your head. Makes sense, right? Hardhead Veterans makes NIJ-compliant helmets for reasonable prices to keep you in the fight. Stay tuned because later in the show, I'm going to tell you more about how to get an even better deal from this veteran-owned small business that employs lots of cops and, again, another one that gives back to police charities. All right, so my guest today is J.P. Donnell. J.P. Uh, is familiar to many of you, probably not to all of you. Um, but he's a really fascinating guy. He is a member of now a member of Echelon Front, and he works with Jocko Willink and Leif Babin uh, and their uh, efforts to support uh, leadership on, on the front lines of business and government and military work. JP uh, is a, was a member of SEAL Team 3 and Task Unit Bruiser. He was part of the Battle of Ramadi and... Um, maybe his most notable thing that will trigger a memory for most anybody is that he was Chris Kyle's counterpart in uh, the Delta Platoon. Chris Kyle, of course, the American sniper, well known for his book and his movie. Um, but JP was his counterpart. Uh, Kyle was in Charlie Platoon and JP was in uh, sniper in Delta Platoon and they worked 
closely together. What really interests me about JP is his the the way that he is such a man in the arena, and we'll dive into that with him. And I'm not going to get into it too much here, but I always uh, it just anytime I hear him talk, it recalls to me the famous line from Teddy Roosevelt about being the man in the arena, and that is definitely what JP is like. So here we are with JP Dinell. JP, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you on because uh, you're a guy who um, makes it easy to get fired up. You know, <laughs> I mean, you've got some <laughs> listening to you on Jocko's show, but then in, in the videos that are out there online about you, watching you speak um, is, uh, man, it's moto. And uh, I thought it would be a great conversation because people are going to learn a lot from you about leadership regardless of rank. So... To begin with, for the people who don't know who you are, give us the, the short version of where you came from and why you are in the position you're in today. All right. Uh, yep. Yeah. So my name is Jeremiah Donnell. I go by JP Donnell. Um, I've been, um, I was in the, in the SEAL teams for about 10 years. I uh, did just under 12 in the Navy. I'm originally from Sacramento, California. And, uh, you know, I was very fortunate enough to been able to grow up with the family that I grew up, uh, very hardworking Americans, uh, you know, grandparents that were in, in the military, aunts and uncles that were in the military, uh, you know, joined the, joined the Navy to become a Navy SEAL, uh, made it through BUDS. I was in class 242, uh, started with them and finished with them, which was awesome to, uh, not get rolled back, not get injured and make it through that training. Um, checked into the SEAL team three, uh, after I got done with BUDS and SQT, which is the SEAL qualification training, uh, before you can go to the SEAL teams, um, you know, I did uh, three combat deployments, which isn't a lot. <laughs> you know, I have buddies that, um, you know, are on their 12th, 13th, 14th, you know, some guys that have, I know some guys that have, you know, close to, uh, close to 20 combat deployments. It's insane. Wow. So, but, uh, you know, the three, the three combat deployments I had, I, you know, I learned a lot. I had some really good experiences. Um, you know, I got out just under 12 years in my time in the military um, to take care of my family, focus on my family, and uh, move on to that next chapter in my life. I, uh, I absolutely miss the SEAL teams every day. It is the hands down the very best job that anybody can have. Uh, but you know, like anything in life, uh, when you're when it's time to move on, it's time to grow and learn and do something else. You have to fully close that door. And you can look back for good memories. You can look back for the lessons that you learned so that you can better yourself and better others around you in the future. But if you look back to focus and just think about all the good times and you want us to go back, it does not allow you to move forward and grow. And so that was one of the things I had to learn is, you know, hey, I had a new mission and I had to establish and define what that new mission was going to be. Uh, initially, I got out, I was doing sales at a financial company. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed it. It was a challenge. I was learning about business and sales and, uh, you know, I was working with a good company and was making a difference in people's lives, which was great. Uh, but then that, that, that desire for that mission started to fade because I didn't have that true full fulfillment that I needed. You know, mm -hmm. some, some people are good with that and that's fine. But the way I'm wired, I'm cut from a different cloth as you are, you know, and everyone will listen to this podcast uh, all of you that are out there serving your, you, you know, uh, your neighborhoods and, um, you know, your community, uh, you, you're cut from a different cloth, you know, and uh, I applaud you and I thank you for your service and everything that you do. And I had to realize that, that I was the same way and I was still that way, even though I wasn't, 
you know, in the fight anymore. Um, that doesn't define who I am. And um, I needed a challenge and I needed to be able to serve again. And so I, I left and I started my own consulting company um, to, you know, to help provide shooting tactics uh, and uh, team building. You know, I was working with law enforcement. I was working with companies. I was just trying to do whatever I could to pay the bills and kind of find my path and see what I was going to do. And, <clears throat> you know, obviously very good, good, close friends with Jocko. Willink and, and Leif Babin, and I knew they had started a consulting company. I knew they wrote a book. I had gotten the book. I read it. It was a phenomenal book, and I just stayed consistent with my communication with them. And um, about a year and a half ago, Jocko reached out and said, "Hey, you know, we've got this event called the Muster in San Diego. If you want to come out and check it out and see what we're doing." He's like, "We're getting to the point where we're actually having to turn down work, and you know, we need to bring on another instructor. If you're interested, I'd love to have you out." And so I made my way out there and, you know, I've been all in with Echelon Front since then. And it's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, the thing that I love, you know, I'm a leadership speaker and trainer with Echelon Front. Um, and I get to work with companies all across the world. And one of the favorite things that I get to do is work with first responders in this nation and uh, translate some of the lessons that I learned on the battlefield in the Battle of Ramadi of 2006. Uh you know, those lessons were written in blood, those new SOPs for our training and the way we conducted ourselves uh, were written in blood. And if I could share those lessons and share those stories uh, with, with first responders across this nation so that you guys can be better leaders and better operators, better husbands, better wives, better fathers, better sons and daughters and mothers and all that. If you guys can just be better in one aspect of your life. Then I then I had that fulfillment again, you know, and uh, it's 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 amazing what I get to do. That's awesome. We were talking right before we hit record about you. Ha I mean, you are closely connected to law enforcement. You have family who are yeah. active officers oh, yeah. here in California. You were yep. just here in California giving uh, a talk with the California Narcotics Officers Association. So, yep. um, you know, I think it gets missed a little bit. Echelon Front and what you guys are doing to me seems to be the only company that is acknowledging that. Biz, there is business, but the leadership challenges in business aren't much different from law enforcement, aren't much different from the military. It's just people being people. But you guys really connect with us on a different level. And like you said, we're cut from the same cloth. It reminds me of a, of a previous guest I've had uh, who's actually also a SEAL lieutenant um, uh, there. And I think he was at, actually he might have been at three, uh, Clint Bruce. Um, oh, yeah, he does uh, carry the load. Carry the load, right? And yeah, he's here actually, here's here. Also. He's there in Dallas with you, and he yeah. had this great thing that I've I've totally, I'll say, repurposed rather than stole. Uh, but he always says, "Without knowing you, I know something about you," right? Mm -hmm. And I and I think that just speaks to that idea of service and commitment to a cause that is larger than your own life. Um, so I'm with you on that. You know, when I think about you and some of the talks I've heard you give. It, you, it's like the definition of the man in the arena to me, you know, that, that famous Teddy Roosevelt quote about it's not the critic that counts. It's about the man in the arena. And yeah. you, some of the stories you tell are, are just about being that guy, right? I mean, you're, you're in the thick of it and participating and active in this. What, I mean, what was the calling for you to be into the teams back? I mean, you said this in the, you said this elsewhere that this was all you ever wanted to do. What, yeah. what was that? Uh, it's it's what God designed me to do, you yeah. know, and a hundred percent. I don't care if somebody doesn't believe in God. I do. <laughs> and uh, I know who he designed me to be. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, ever since I was a young boy, my grandmother always said when she prayed over the grandkids and prayed over it, she's like, Jeremiah, you, you will be a warrior in one way or another. And uh, I'm not trying to claim to be some awesome warrior like that. I did great stuff in, in the SEAL teams. You know, I, I don't like calling myself a warrior, but I, I like to know that I have that warrior mindset and heart inside of me. And that's all I've ever wanted. I mean, I was playing Navy SEALs when I was six, seven, eight, nine years old. Like my brother Corey and I, who's he's my best friend, we used to play Navy SEALs together. We would tie up my little sister in the garage, and she'd be the hostage that we were going to go rescue. And, you know, I was – I mean, I was in elementary school, and I was building urban sniper uh, hides in my garage. Like I'm not kidding. Like I would crack the garage door a little bit, and the garage was elevated up off the street, and I would crack it. And I would turn off all the lights in there, and I'd put mos- uh, like mosquito netting hanging over there, so you couldn't see through it. And I would scan and watch and do surveillance. Like who does that at the age of nine or ten? That's not normal. <laughs> Come on, you know. And uh, you know, Corey and I, we would go to all the garage sales and um, and talk to old Vietnam vets and buy any and all pieces of military gear that we could. And I used to practice painting my face and seeing how it would blend into certain stuff and building ghillie suits when I was a little kid. I mean, it was, I was infatuated with it. And, um, you know, when I, when I got into high school, like, you know, obviously as you get older, you kind of sometimes lose sight of that. Um, because you know, teachers in high school, I mean, obviously I love teachers, but you know, some of them don't understand there's a bigger picture to stuff. And they tell you, Oh, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to go to college. No, you don't have to go to college. I never went to college and I knew that college was not for me. And I understand that a college education is great if it has a purpose. And for me at that time, there was no college education that was going to give me purpose as to what I needed to do in my life. And my dad challenged me to join the military. And uh, he's like, what about the SEAL teams? You know, and, uh, and that just started the path, you know, and as soon as I committed to that's what I was going to do. There is no looking back, you know, and the beautiful thing that my parents instilled into us is that you never allow another human being to dictate what you can and can't do. If you want to do it, do it. But guess what? It's going to take hard work. It's going to take dedication. And most importantly, it takes action. You actually have to go do it. You actually have to, you know, you, you know, I know we talked about this earlier and, you know, we're, this is a good transition into it as what you said is, you know, what do you accomplish from the sidelines in life? Absolutely nothing. If you want to win the game, you actually have to set foot on the field and play. And that's what I knew I had to do. And that's what we did in in the military. When we deployed to Ramadi in 2006, the task unit that we were replacing told us, if you go into this area, you will get almost all your guys wounded or killed. This is enemy-held terrain. And our bosses were like, okay, that's where we're going. Not because they wanted us to be injured or, or killed or you don't you never want to lose a guy. You never want a guy to get injured. But if you're going to win an unwinnable situation, which that's what Ramadi was, it, we were told it was an unwinnable situation, all but lost. If you're going to do something, you have to take action. Sitting around talking about stuff does absolutely nothing. Come up with a game plan that's somewhat effective and go put in the work. And adapt and overcome and and work through it and change your strategy and change your tactics that you know that is dictated by your current situation. But go put the work in. Quit talking about it. You know, there's a correlation there. I think between your you growing up and deciding to go into the teams or wanting to go in teams. We have a lot of listeners who are either new officers or aspiring officers, even into high school, who are looking at this as a career. And though certainly not as intense as buds. 
I wonder, I want to ask you about that moment where, you know, like, like you say, get off the sideline, but you sign up, but then you decide you're going to go test and try and try and make it through buds. What was that self-talk process like? Did you have a, a really strong sense of confidence in yourself already at that point, or was it a gradual progression? Well, yeah, there, and so, and I, I know what you meant by that, but I'll kind of correct you. There was never a point that I said, I'm going to try this. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this. There was okay. never any doubt in my mind. No, that's, oh, a, that's an important this. point. Yeah. I'm going I'm to I'm try this. I'm going to see how this works out. You're going to uh, do this. Well, you know, I think if you go into life with that mindset, hey, I'm going to try this out. Well, you're giving yourself the out. That right. it's like, Hey, well, if this doesn't work, you know what? I tried it. I did my best. Well, that doesn't do anything for you. That's not going to get you through it. And so I remember I was in boot camp mm-hmm. and uh, the sealed motivators uh, came in to our department or to our division and they dropped everybody down into the push-up position. They're like, all right, all the seal wannabes stand up, you know, and that was for all the guys that had the contracts to become a seal. And so, or, Hey, if you decide you think you want to try out to become a Navy seal, stand up and all these guys stand up and I, I stay in the push-up position. Well, I had a contract. So they're going through the list like Danelle, like, Oh yeah. I'm like, why aren't you standing up? And I said, because I'm not a wannabe. I'm a gonna be. That's what I'm going to do. And I mean, I, you know, I'm only 18 at that time. I'm in boot camp. And these are these are SEALs that mm-hmm. are doing this. And I had that confidence. I wasn't cocky, but I was confident. Like, I'm not coming into this to try something. I'm going to do it. And uh, I remember, like, looking at them. And I'm like, wow, this is going to go one of two ways. They're going to just <laughs> beat me down. And you know what? Both of them, they just nodded their head at me. And they're like, check, Roger that. Nice. We'll see you. At, we'll see you at the pool. So, all right, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And that just started the path. And I remember going through training. That was just a mindset. And I, uh, you know, I had that. I remember when I was in Buds, one of my buddies, Ray Mendoza. Um, he's a phenomenal team guy. He's uh, he actually does consulting for Hollywood and does some production stuff now. Uh, he was actually in the movie Act of Valor. Um, hmm. And so, anyways, uh, I remember going through Buds and. He was in my class, and he, he had been in buds before, and he got all the way to third phase. He was getting close to graduation, and he got dropped from training for whatever reason. And uh, he came back, and I was talking to him about it, and he used to call me Baby D because I was the youngest guy, and I was you know pretty small at the time. I was about 135 pounds and uh, a little skinny little kid, and um, he, was, he was talking to me about the fact that, you know, he's like, I'm not, I don't I – don't, allow other people to dictate what I do. He's like, I'm going to make it through this training and I'm going to be a seal. And I said, you know, you know, we talked about the fact that I had that same mindset. My parents always told us, you know, the same thing. And, um, you know, he's like, dude, these instructors are no better than us. They breathe the same oxygen we breathe. They just went through training at an earlier date and time. And it just, that's always stuck with me. And I, I knew that, but it was awesome hearing that from somebody that I looked up to and I respected. And it was like confirmation that, hey, all right, I got my mind right. I'm on the right path. Um, you know, let's do this. I think that's an important distinction, and I'm glad you corrected me that it's a it's a gonna do, not a want to do. You know, it reminds me of my own process going into the academy. I was uh, in my late 20s before I started this career in public service, and I was a I was a marketing executive, ran my own department, had my own employees, had an assistant. You know, and and I walked yeah. into my boss's office with two weeks' notice and said, I'm starting the police academy in two weeks. 
and I quit my job. Uh, I was working in the film and music industry, which isn't exactly pro-law enforcement, and uh, basically burned those bridges. And there I was on day one of the academy again in push-up position going like, this is it. I got no other options, so I'm not going to – I can't quit. You know? <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's, yeah, it's not – I mean, you burn those bridges in an industry that you have the potential to make some really good money. Yeah. And it just shows that you are cut from a different cloth. You know, you hear about, uh, you know, law, law enforcement officers that are – you know, walk away from, from gigs like you because they're like, yo, I'm tired of the bullshit. I'm tired of society. And, you know, and the thing I, I got super emotional, um, on Wednesday when I was working with a uh, police department, you know, I worked with the California narcotics officers association. And the next day I worked with a, a, a police department kind of close to that area. And, uh, we're doing Q and a and we're talking and I, I, you know, I just, I get emotional when I think about what you guys have to go through every single day. And I hope everyone listening to this podcast understands and realizes that you guys are the barrier for society. If you guys decide to not do what you do, society falls apart. You are the wall that keeps us together. You guys, you're that protection, you know, and people want to like, say oh yeah whatever bring it i'm ready blah 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 they don't understand what actual violence and war and evil looks like they have no idea truly no idea i agree and we we've looked at we've looked at evil in the eye we've experienced it and i you know i've i've put some of my best friends in the ground that fought because of those beliefs I buried my roommates and people don't understand what's going to happen if what you guys do falls apart. So you have to hold the line. You have to maintain the standards that you guys have and you need to raise those standards and you need to hold each other accountable and everybody needs to take ownership of what your responsibilities are. And that comes down to leadership, individual leadership, Leadership at every level, you know, and people, people understand what taking ownership means. Most of the time people think, oh, it's, hey, I screwed up. That's my fault. No, taking ownership is meaning that you take ownership of everything that affects your mission. You take ownership of the problems and the solutions. You know, you don't, you don't make excuses as, oh, the weather screwed this up. Well, maybe you should have been a little more proactive to study the weather in that region, or maybe you should have looked at the forecast, or maybe you should have invested into some better gear or tactics or techniques that you can actually do during those bad situations of weather. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, uh, you know, hey, police departments, I get it. You guys don't have a lot of funding at time for training, but you know, one thing that you can do, you can work through scenarios and situations on a whiteboard. You can talk through training. You can you can roundtable discussion. Uh, different ideas you can dry fire at your house that takes nothing but time doesn't cost you ammo it doesn't cost you time on the range it doesn't cost you time driving it costs you the time to put in those repetitions you can you can practice your mag reloads you can practice transitioning from your pistol to actually having to deal with an you know a, a target that you know hey maybe you don't need to pull the trigger on you thought you were going to, but because you've been in stressful situations of training, you realize that maybe that's not what you need to do. You can put your weapon away, get out your taser, tase that individual, or hey, they're close enough, you can put your hands on, you can put your weapon away, safely retain your weapon, and deal with this 
this threat with, you know, whatever level of force is within your rules of engagement. And you're never going to be able to do that if you don't train and talk through it. If you think that you're going to rise to the occasion, you are foolish. You rise to the level of your training. Mm-hmm. And how much time you put in with your training is going to dictate the outcome. You know, that's a that's a great segue to my next question. And uh, it's it really hits on an entire if people are following the show at any point, they realize that a theme of the show is that leadership doesn't have a rank and that it's my belief that all officers have an obligation to be leaders, not only just in their department, but also in their community. Right. And that goes from the the newest rookie all the way up to the chief or the sheriff. And Mm -hmm. that we are only stifling ourselves by these kind of old notions of, of, that leadership has to be given by rank. And that's absolutely not the case. Supervision and management is given by rank, but not leadership. When I graduated from the academy, uh, I went to our equipment room to get the rest of my gear, the stuff I didn't need in the academy, but now I needed when I was on patrol. And they handed me an ill-fitting, awkward, and extremely painful riot helmet. This helmet was probably older than I was, uh, and, it was prob- and it was something that had probably lasted several careers of the people who had worn it before me. And it was sweat-stained, and it literally was like Vietnam-era quality inside uh, padding. And it was horribly uncomfortable. And I've been in a few incidents in my career in which I had to deploy that helmet. And never once was I comfortable or most certainly confident in it. It was heavy, it was bulky, and it left me with a lasting headache if I wore it for more than a few minutes. I wanted a helmet I could trust, But, like most of you, I had a hard time spending like $1,000 or more on a helmet that I might never need. But that's the problem, isn't it? I may never need my ballistic vest, but I still wear it every day. Well, about a year ago, I got introduced to a company named Hardhead Veterans. It's an app name for a veteran-owned company that makes ballistic helmets. The founders come from the special operations community, and their goal is to make the world a safer place for cops. Several members of the Hardhead Veterans staff are actually active-duty police officers themselves. They reached out, and we started talking about the challenges of policing in today's environment, our equipment needs, and what it's like to be a cop today. They know that we don't make a lot of money, and that it's hard for us to decide how to spend our uniform allowance, if we even get one, and that most departments are not even outfitting their officers with ballistic helmets. They're simply giving them riot helmets without any protection. So that's where hardhead veterans decided they were going to focus their small business, making top quality helmets at a real reasonable price that cops can afford. They use high-end DuPont Kevlar fibers made here in the U.S., And their helmets not only meet NIJ standards for level 3A armor, they exceed them. They're so confident in their helmets that they publish all this ballistic data on their website at hardheadveterans.com. Now, I got my own Hardhead Veterans helmet a few months ago, and the experience I had is the reason this ad even exists. From cutting the tape off the box to getting the fit dialed in onto my head, it literally took me probably 40-45 seconds. It was that quick. A few clicks of the padding system and the chin strap, and I was good to go. With my last helmet, the one that the department gave me, I spent, I think, 40 minutes and about $100 buying an aftermarket padding system that I had to wedge in there and uh, cut pieces off because it just didn't fit. And though it made the helmet softer, it still was tight. That's not the case here. The helmet's really light, too, and then the above-ear models come with all the modern attachment adapters that allow you to strap on NVGs or comm systems. And for those of you in SWAT assignments, this is really a perfect helmet. Everything you need to operate without the $1,000 or $1,200 price tag. Their helmets come with a 10-year warranty, and they offer a bulk purchase discount, so if you're in charge of purchasing at your department, make sure they know that we sent you over. 
For anyone who wants to purchase this helmet on their own, use the code SQUADROOM, all one word, to get $20 off. Check them out at hardheadveterans.com and use that coupon code SQUADROOM to get $20 off your purchase. All right, back to the show. I was going to say, you know, that's one of the things that we talk about with, in the book Extreme Ownership that Chocolate Lake wrote and what we do as a company with Echelon Front. Was we talk about how leadership is the most important thing on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about leadership as in a brigade commander or a major or Jocko as our task unit commander, but leadership at every level, all the way down to the individual who is in charge of nothing more than themselves. Mm-hmm. That is, that's what leadership is all about. Yeah. And, um, you know, leadership is the most important thing off the battlefield. Are you taking ownership of your marriage so that it doesn't affect you at work? Are you taking ownership of all the stuff that goes on at work so that it doesn't affect your home life and your family? You have to find that balance. You have to own everything. You have to be a leader that knows, hey, when to step up and say something. And, you know, you you have the ability to inspire those around you by your attitude. Your attitude is contagious, whether it's negative or positive. Mm -hmm. You get to decide which it is. Yeah, and I I love this idea too of of not, of ownership not being just reactive and owning the problem or the result, but being proactive and owning the opportunity, yes. right, to to make an effect there. You were a young sniper uh out of training when you got your first introduction uh yeah. to this direct idea from Jocko. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, so we were doing our first block of training. We were headed out to Nylon to do our land warfare training and uh Jocko talked to our whole task unit and then about taking ownership of everything and what that meant and what he expected of us. And then uh, he talked to us as as individuals. And I remember Jocko said, hey, JP, you're the youngest and most junior ranking guy in this task unit. That means nothing to me. You have energy. You have passion. You you push everybody around you to go harder, to train harder, to be better. Uh, Your attitude is contagious. I want you to step up and lead. I want you to step up and take ownership of everything that affects you as a sniper, as a machine gunner, as a point man, as a member of your platoon, and as a member of this task unit. Take ownership of everything and take us to the next level. But then to add to that, he didn't just say that, which is awesome. It's like, hey, cool. Hey, my boss's boss is telling me to own everything, to be more aggressive. I'm like, Roger, I've never had a point in my life where someone's like, I need you to be a little more aggressive. It's usually, (laughs) hey, throttle back a little bit, bud. And, uh, you know, so now this, you know, this uh, phenomenal leader that everybody respected is telling you, hey, own it. I want you to own it. Take it to the next level. And then he said, you're going to screw up and you're going to make mistakes. And that's okay because we're here to mitigate those and we're here to, you know, guide you and mentor you and teach you and train you. But if you don't own it, you don't take risks, you'll never grow as a leader. And that was incredibly impactful. Um, for, for that to be coming for my leadership. Uh, you can't expect people to take ownership if you don't give them ownership, uh, especially mm. if you're in a, you know, just, I mean, everything from regular corporate to military to law enforcement to firefighters because people understand the chain of command and they confuse what the chain of command is there truly for and they don't think that they should step up and lead because, hey, guess what? That's my boss's job. He'll, he's going to do that. But no, it's your job to step up and lead. And to take it off your boss's plate so that they can look at the big picture. And, you know, and as a leader, we want to develop our younger leaders so that they can be at a higher level and they can replace us so that we can either move up and or out and on to something else. 
And so that, that conversation with Jocko was, was incredibly impactful. And yeah, I was, I just turned 23 before we deployed to Ramadi and I was our lead sniper and point man. And I was put in a position of leadership on that deployment. I was our leading petty officer when myself and a handful of guys and interpreter went out East to a little forward operating base called Camp Corregidor. And we were running all of our missions out of there. And I was our leading petty officer. So I was still the youngest guy. I was still the most junior ranking guy. Yet I was actually put into a position of leadership. And the reason why that happened is because I took ownership of almost everything because I was told to and I knew I needed to. And that changed the game for me. And it was cool because on that deployment, it it didn't change anything because the guys were still the guys and we did everything together. I was just in that position of leadership, but it wasn't like JP was making all the calls and decisions. It's I was able to get the guys together so that we would make decisions as a team as to what was better for the mission and how we could accomplish the mission. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who gets the credit. It's about you accomplishing the mission. Yeah, absolutely. And and for us, I think our challenge sometimes in law enforcement is identifying what that mission is, right? I mean, it's... Uh our our objectives are sometimes muddied by the fact that we do this job every day and that you know, as hard as we work crime doesn't go away right it's just it's always there there's always going to be another guy to put in jail but to focus on some of that as the process too right and like any i every cop comes in thinking they're going to be the one to solve crime and that when they retire they're going to shut yeah. the doors on the jail and turn off the lights and it's going to be good right and it's about 2 years in you realize that ain't happening <laughs> So, like, oh, this is getting worse yeah. every day. So, but but I always encourage guys to then focus on their ability to control what they can control, which is, again, a different way of saying ownership, and uh, focusing on the success that they have as an individual, you know, and yep. just and the, and the purpose they get out of the job. I want to ask, I'm just, this is just a curious question, but that conversation with Jocko and those early interactions with him, uh, it sounds like he had this idea of extreme ownership already in place at this point. Uh, what was it like working for him? I mean, his, is everybody at, in his position in the military that dialed in or is he a unique <laughs> individual? And I, your laugh answers that question, but explain that for me. Uh, no, not close. Uh, I mean, Jocko is a phenomenal leader. And I, I tell people all the time that um, there will be history books written about Jocko mm-hmm. and life and Seth and the rest of the leadership in Tasquita Bruiser as to what they did in the Battle of Ramadi. The leadership of the soldiers and Marines that we worked with mm-hmm. um, is is truly incredible uh, what they did in the Battle of Ramadi. And then also, which is great, hey, rock star deployment, kill a bunch of savages, change, legitimately change an area 180 degrees to and you can go home and pat yourself on the back and say hey this is awesome and Jocko had the choice to go anywhere he wanted and he picked the training command because he knew the next most important mission as to what he just did was equipping the guys moving forward and we had to drastically revamp the training um I, I mean I wish I wish every leader was like Jocko um but it's just it's just not the case um, but I will say the leadership in the SEAL teams has drastically improved because of guys like Jocko mm-hmm. and Leif and Seth and Mike Sorelli. Um, you know, after Ramadi, Leif took over the training 
uh, program for the junior officer program and drastically changed that, you know, and I know Jocko helped him out with some stuff with that. And, um, not that Leif needed it, but you know, stuff that they worked on together and, uh, the, the junior leaders that Leif developed, mm-hmm. man, that, that changed the, that changed the seal teams as well. So, you know? and then, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, and then Mike Sorelli, who was with us in Ramadi, um, did the same thing um, after he came back from Solder City. You mm-hmm. know, so after Ramadi, he uh, he redeployed, um, which broke my heart because I was supposed to uh, be there with them, but ended up with an injury that I had to have surgery from. Got pulled from the active platoons, went to training, and Mike Sorelli and those guys, you know, did just as good stuff as we did in Ramadi Sauter City. Uh, I mean, it's insane the amount of insurgent fighters that they killed in a short period of time, and they changed that area as well. And guess what? He took over after that deployment. Same training command Leif had, you know? And Mm -hmm. so you have these rock star leaders leading future leaders. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's why the SEAL teams have just continued to get better and better and more effective but there, yeah, of course. I mean, there's a there's there's the bottom of the barrel in every unit and organization, unfortunately. You know, we have a lot. As much as we have young guys listening who want to be cops or are young cops, we also have chiefs, sheriffs, uh, high ranking people in, in organizations here. And I think this is an interesting question to ask for someone in your direct uh, position. Was you know, if I asked Jocko directly what he made him successful with you and the guys, he probably too humble to like really talk about his strengths but from your but perspective that's why that's what made him is i was going to say it would be his humility mm-hmm. that's what made him a phenomenal leader and just is it what and so how did he translate that i think this is a good lesson for command staff and executives or even frontline sergeants like me how does he translate that into the actions he would do in front of you to show those things he was in the game he led by example mm-hmm. and he never asked you to do something that he wouldn't do himself or had not done himself yeah uh, he, he, he didn't hold you to a higher standard than he held himself. So whatever he was telling you needed to be done, he was doing it himself and he pushed himself. I mean, look at the fact that uh, what he does every single day, as far as waking up early and getting that workout in, there's no excuses mm-hmm. to be done. And the only time he doesn't get that workout in is because there's something that is much more of a priority, but then he'll still get that workout in done. So he was physically fit at an extremely high level, incredibly intelligent, was always reading and studying and, you know, studying individuals, studying their behaviors, studying how they learned, how they communicated so that he could communicate to you in the way that was most effective for you. So that way you understood exactly what you need to do because, you know, he was proactive with that instead of just like, Oh, my guys don't get it. They don't listen to me. It was like, no, actually, guess what? I'm going to change the way I communicate so that my guys do listen and do learn and do, you know, take ownership. And he was building relationships up the chain of command, building relationships down the chain of command. We'd be on a shooting trip. We'd be shooting hundreds of thousands of rounds. And guess who was sitting next to you picking up brass on the range? Jocko. You know, he went to every training trip, not just the good ones, but he went to every block of training. He did everything with the guys. That certainly is. I mean, that's that's like the definition of lead by example, then, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Go. No. If you had something else to add to that, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, that's exactly uh, 
what it, what it was like, you know? And, and guess what? When Jocko was doing that, guess what it forced Leif and Seth and Mike and the other junior leaders to do? Those junior officers. Do the same thing. Be like Jocko. Mm-hmm. And so when my platoon commander, Seth Stone, is doing that, what do you think I want to do? Yeah. And so it just trickled down. That attitude is contagious. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I sometimes have conversations with, and I, I mean, by that I mean I sometimes butt heads with people I work with about this idea, but it's my belief that people want to be part of a high performing team and that they want to be held to a high standard, um, that they want to be pushed a little, just slightly beyond their comfort zone. And I don't mean in a taskmaster sort of way, but they want to feel like they're doing something that's above and beyond the norm. And for us in our, the way we work in a team environment, just, uh, in, in, in a similar way to the seals, you know, we have our squads, our stations, our precincts, um, and that, when they participate in a high performing team that they rise their, the quality of their performance rises f- with the people around them. Do you find that to be You're, true? Yes. Cause you are, di- you are a direct reflection of the people you surround yourself with. You're a direct reflection of your thoughts mm-hmm. of what you put into your mind. You wake up saying, Hey, it's going to be a crappy day. Well, guess what that day is going to be. It's going to be crappy. Just, you know what I mean? Like wake up, tell myself, Hey, I get to do this. I'm blessed. I'm highly favored. I have great friends. I have a healthy family. I'm healthy. You know, it's what you put into your mind Mm -hmm. and that's what you're going to get. And, um, I don't, I mean, how can you say you don't want to be a part of a high performing team? I think some people think, yeah, they just think, Oh, I I don't want that. I don't want that pressure. I, I, too much is being asked of me. I don't either. Hey, I don't buy it. I, I would call BS on that every single time. I think the reason why people say that is because they either don't believe that it's possible. It's too good to be true, right? Mm-hmm. That mindset. Or they don't believe in themselves. So, hey, if I don't put those expectations on myself, if yeah. I don't put, you know, then I don't have to worry about that. Sure, you know, that's I'm not good. stressing myself. Or they are just, there's something mentally ill with them because <laughs> I, I, I'm not being rude, but serious. Like right. I think someone would have to have a legitimate mental illness if they were to be honest and say, I don't want to be a part of a high performing team that is doing good stuff and making a difference. Mm-hmm. Like who, like who wouldn't want to be, you know? Like, oh, so you're telling me that you don't want your life to be better. Yeah. You're telling me that you don't want your relationships to be better. You're telling me that you don't want your bank account to be better. You're telling me that you don't want to make an impact in society. You don't want to make an impact in your community. You, Come on. You can't tell me that that's not something that somebody wants to be able to do. Sure, sure, sure. You know, uh, kind of related to that, and this was a, it was a question I had prepped, uh, and then it's uh, ironic because you're wearing the T-shirt. Um, oh. But this, this, <laughs> fra- this phrase, default aggressive, right? Um, which I think we all gravitate towards, but you know, with policing being seen as overly aggressive or, uh, you know, in some, in some ways or in some communities, how do you translate that actionable, um, message for law enforcement or is there a difference? No, it's the, it's, this is not towards people default. The mindset of default aggressive is not towards people. It's towards getting stuff done towards accomplishing your goals, achieve, you know, getting those tasks done, 
taking the fight to your enemy and whatever your enemy is, whether it's time, budget, gear, training, you guys have a legitimate enemy that you're dealing with. We have a legitimate enemy that we're dealing with. And it doesn't mean that you fear the enemy. You just respect your enemy, knowing what your competitors are capable of. Um, you know, hey, you take the high ground before the enemy can take the high ground. You flank before you're flanked. It's just being proactive to getting stuff done, realizing that competition is a great thing. But it's just not it's not towards people. We don't want to be you want to be aggressive, but you don't want to be overbearing. I, I'm glad you clarified that and pointed that out because I think that it, there is a direct application to what we do, but it can be misapplied. You know, if, you know, we sometimes. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you touched on this a little bit ago, but I want to bring it back because um, I see this. I, I, I always talk about and think a lot about transitions, how we go through different points okay. in our life. Uh, and you mentioned getting hurt and getting pulled off the, squ- the team that was about to go out for deployment and how you had a conversation about how your mission had changed and how the mission evolves for yes. you as a person. And I see that as we grow through our careers, maybe as we promote, maybe as we retire, or maybe we, as some of us decide we can't do this as a career for 30 years, we need to go do something else. But people who leave seem to struggle with this idea of lacking the purpose that we get from our job. And I think that's so common. We know it's so common with our partners in the military too, when they transition out of the military, this lack of purpose that, that their lives go through. What was that experience like for you? And and what was that conversation like? Um, man, it was horrible when I didn't find my new mission. Um, you know, when I got transferred out of the platoon into trade at, which is our training detachment, um, and I know you've got to get going. So we're, we're going to do this podcast again. We'll, we'll do it like a second phase to this. Uh, but I think we can close out on this. Um, you have to redefine what your mission is. And you have to be honest with yourself to realize that your mission is going to change. And there's nothing wrong with your mission changing. You just have to redefine what your new mission is and get to work. And um, Jocko talked to me when I was at Trade It because I was – I wasn't in a good mood. I, I was not happy that I was not being in a platoon going back and, and killing and killing bad guys again. Um, you know, I, I was, I was, I was very effective at what I did <laughs> and, um, that's all I wanted to go do again. And Jocko talked to me and he told me, it's like, JP, your mission has changed as much as I would love to have you overseas killing bad people. Trust me. That's what I want you to be doing. I need you as an instructor. Your mission has changed. You are now an instructor. And your mission is to equip these guys that are headed overseas to be as trained as possible at the absolute highest level. There's no excuses for them not to receive the best training of their life. And then when I got out of the military, and and I will say that changed my mindset to where I loved what I did. I absolutely loved it. You know, the thing I love the most in life is is being deployed and being at war and being in gunfights. I love that. I that it just it, I, I absolutely love it. And second to that is is training and is being able to bring people to a higher level and have them be as as effective as possible. So with what I do with Echelon Front, I'm very blessed and lucky to be able to do that because in essence, that's what I do now. You know, I'm a leadership instructor and trainer 
and I'm also our director of tactical training programs. And I'm able to put together training for, for companies to where they understand and apply these leadership principles. Um, and that's what we do at the muster. And that's what we do at roll call. You know, we have an event called a roll call that's coming up. That is just for first responders. Mm-hmm. It's only for law enforcement and firefighters and government personnel and medics and, you know, um, and active duty military. That's what we're doing this training for is for your guys' community to, to, you know, make sure you guys are equipped. And when I got out, I didn't have that mission. Like I briefly talked about earlier, I didn't have that true purpose and that, you know, I didn't take the time to define what I needed to be doing. But now that I have that, I mean, it's awesome. That is. And the roll call you speak of, it's uh, September 21st of this year in Dallas. That's the first one. It sounds like there's already yes. going to be more. I know people who are going to it and I'm ex- I'm, I'm bummed or disappointed isn't even the right word for why I, I'm not going to be there this one, but I, I'll be there at, at, at the next one, I hope. Uh, JP, I appreciate your time. That is a great place to end on Uh, real quick. Where can people find you on social media if they want to track you down? So if you need to, if you want to talk to us about uh, us coming in and talking and working with your companies, uh, echelonfront.com, E-C-H-E-L-O-N-F-R-O-N-T.com. And then on social media, it's all the same, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. I'm mostly active on Instagram, so send me a message. We can communicate that way. If you have questions or if you need help with anything, uh, reach out. But it's all at JP Denial. So JP D-I-N-N-E-L-L. And again, just reach out if there's anything I can do. And to all those that are listening that have put the uniform on uh, to serve your communities, I cannot thank you enough for what you do every single day. Continue doing what you're doing. Stay in the fight. Keep the faith. And realize the fight that you're fighting right now is a long-term battle. You have to have that tactical patience and have that vision for the long for the long run. But hold the line because nobody else is going to be able to do it. That's great. I love that. Thank you, man. Appreciate you being here. I will put uh, show notes up for everyone so that they can go to thesquadroom.net to find your links for everything if they're driving around or not able to write it down right now. Cool. We'll make yep, sure they can track you. you down. And I am definitely going to take you up on that uh, second podcast uh, offer. You, you you threw it out there, so I'm going to grab it right now. <laughs> hey, do it. Let's get it. Let's book it. All right. Thanks, man. <laughs> thanks for your time today. Have a great day. Thank you for your service. All right. Thanks for listening to The Squadron. If you like what you heard today, if you got something out of this conversation with JP, please consider leaving a review on iTunes if you haven't already. Uh, if you're able to uh, leave a note, too, and let people know what you like about the show, that's great. I read each of them, and it does actually really help spread the word about the show. If you heard something today that you know a friend or a loved one needs to hear or you think some partners need to hear, please tell them about the show. You can go to thesquadroom.net and email this episode directly to someone. Now, to keep up to date, you can text the squadroom to 44222 to get signed up for our mailing list directly from your phone. And you can also, of course, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at the squadroom. Check out the show notes for all the things that we talk about with JP today and the links for uh, those things. Uh, don't forget to uh, look at Roll Call if you're in the area of Dallas, Texas in September. Uh, make sure that you uh, sign up for that. I wish I could be there. Uh, I know a lot of you actually are going to be there, and it would be a fun opportunity to connect up, but uh, hopefully on Roll Call 2 I will be there. All right, so I also want to thank Hardhead Veterans and Blue Line Flex for their support of the show. Please check them out. And, of course, until next time, take care of each other and stay safe.